So we're going to talk this morning about who is God to you, real, or your religion. Now, I hope that that uh, video just, you just saw didn't um, in any way offend, because you know what? Depending on your definition of religion, um, as he said, people love the church, and perhaps you love your religion. But the point today for the message is what Jesus condemned in Matthew 23 is that it all has become superficial and not real. I looked at the definition of religion. There's a couple of them. Belief in and worship of God or gods, a system of religious beliefs and practices. A set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies. A particular system of faith and worship. A pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. Those are where we get messed up in our definition of religion. One that I didn't mind is a belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. If you believe in the Lord, obviously your church, your practice is going to be to seek him. But you know what? The practice of it is where we have gone wrong. We are, we've lost our Matthew 6.33 focus. And this is what Jesus condemned. Do you know that it was the religious leaders that led the cause against Jesus in his day? And put him on the cross. It was the religious leaders at that time. That's always shocking. This past week, Fox News had a poll. And it was organized religion in the U.S. Losing influence, gaining influence, or staying the same. Organized religion in the U.S. is it losing influence 53% of those polled, which was a pretty large poll. I don't have all the specifics of, of their poll, but 53% said there is, that it's losing religion, 10% only said it's gaining influence, 34% said it's staying the same. Another poll in this same one was, is Christianity under attack? 56 yes, 42% no. We need to know who God is to us, because this is the most fundamental question in the Christian life as it pertains to your entire victory. You know, so many people think that they know who God is to them. They know, oh yes, God is real. I believe in God. Do you know that even the demons believe in God? Believe in who he is? They know know who he is. They know his power. That's why Satan is the counterfeit, the counterfeit power. He wants to counterfeit everything. In looking at the definition of God, though, and who he is, and trying to even come close to defining it, we have to be really careful when it comes to that. Because any attempt to define God, you're going to find that after much study, you'll only come within a mere shadow of the reality of who God is. And it is so dangerous to begin to get stuck in these theological debates, you know, It's amazing to me that there are people that actually study the word of God and study who God is without even coming from a perspective of believing in him. They just study it for the knowledge itself because the Bible is a fascinating book and there are many theologians that study it just to study it 
which is really amazing to me. If you (coughs) have accepted Christ as your Savior and believe in the cross and what it has done, perhaps you, either at that point, if you were a child, or maybe before that, you somehow learned a little bit about who God was. But then when you accepted him, his Holy Spirit lived within you, and you begin the process of sanctification, which is working out your salvation, as Philippians tells us, Paul tells us in Philippians. But unless you were saved at a very, very young age and only learned to seek God purely and his word alone without additional influences, you probably to some degree have become infected with influences religiously based that have given you a bias against who he is. We, we all have done it. And that's why we had such a challenge this morning to take an inventory. I think we need to take regular inventory of who God is to us. I have had um, an amazing study this week with everybody in Mexico, and um, it's just been an awesome time with God, and even with believing that I am seeking him, what he showed me about how I limit him is really amazing. You know, one of the things that I prayed this week was, God, Show me more of how to take who I believe you to be in my life through your word, through, you know, my Christian walk since I was saved at 11 years old. Help me to connect the dots between what I believe and my practical life, living it out. How can I believe in you in a a more practical way to live out the Christian life? Because, see, what's happened is we begin to box We've heard that phrase before, you know, don't put God in a box. We've, everybody's used that cliche before. Oh, we, you know, don't put God in a box. He's not in a box. Well, you know what? That is what happens when we let other people or experiences define God for us. Uh, a great Bible study teacher um, wrote this. Listen to this. It says, all of us have had many teachers of theology, whether official or unofficial, formal or informal. Life experiences are teachers. Conversations overheard are teachers. Television can be a frighteningly powerful teacher of theology. To some extent, even nature is a teacher. Obviously, parents, school teachers, Bible and Sunday school teachers and preachers dramatically influence and shape each of our theologies. I'd like to suggest to you, this this writer says, in love and without a hint of disrespect, that some of our favorite teachers have helped us package our faith in neat little boxes, and even handed us the wrapping paper and bows as if we need not know another thing. Meanwhile, we may be helping others do the same. We think we've got God in those boxes, but we don't. No matter how many PhDs professors or uh, no matter how many PhDs a professor has or how trustworthy even our parents have been about every other subject or how beautifully, intelligently, or lovingly the box is decorated. God doesn't fit. We, we can think we know God, but I'll tell you what. He is an undiscoverable, unimaginable, unattainable God to fully grasp. And that is what's so exciting about him. Keep in mind that because of our human tendencies and our experiences in life, 
It is easy to affirm and reaffirm spiritually what we already believe based on those experiences rather than to search and consider the whole counsel of God. You know, Greg often, when he preaches, refers to the Acts 17.11. Do as the Bereans do. Well, one of the, one of the words that I want to stand out in that scripture, if you come across that, is they went to scripture. When they heard the word, they went back to the scripture with openness or readiness of mind. This is huge. When you are searching the scripture, you cannot go to God's word with a bias. Okay, well, I'll read that. But, I mean, I already know that. I mean, I already know that God doesn't work that way. I already know that he can't. I mean, you know, he's God, but he can't really transform that. So, you know, I'll, yeah, I'm going to read that scripture. And if you come to the word of God with religious bias, it will absolutely affect. See, the Bereans came with readiness of mind, openness of mind. They came saying, you know, the Gospel of John tells us that the Holy Spirit's job, one of his jobs is to lead us into all truth. Well, if we are asking the Spirit of God to reveal something to us through his word, we have to come with an openness, a readiness of mind to receive that. Otherwise, we're just like the, the blind, and if they're lost without Christ, they're fully blind theologian that studies the word of God and never, it never changes their life. There's a difference in how we approach God as to how it affects our life. So why is this important? I really like to get to application in, in terms of my personality. I always like to know the, what does it really mean for my life, okay? You have come here this morning with various issues. Those of you listening online right now may be battling particular issues. So what does this mean for you? The God you believe in, you will never be stronger than or have more faith than the capacity for for your actual faith and belief in God. Let Let me word that better. If you limit God... Your faith will never exceed the God that you believe in because it doesn't work that way. So based on who you believe God to be in you, you're either going to be overcome or you're going to be an overcomer. You're either going to be completely conquered or you're going to be a conqueror. It all depends on who God is to you and what he's capable of because that is what will grow our faith. Now, we cannot possibly begin to define or, or bring about any kind of, a, of an accurate definition. I am going to attempt, for the um, purposes of this message, I am going to attempt to, do, to bring four points out. Thank you. And uh, so if you have on the back of your bulletin, you know there's a place for your notes. If you have a Bible, I definitely want you to look at these scriptures with me today. Write down the references like Greg says every week. But I'm going to keep this as simple as four points about God. And, um, and I have a little handout for you, too, that I'm going to be giving you in just a minute that Fred will actually be giving you. But when we take this inventory of God, we need to know that we are living out who we believe God to be. So what does your life look like? Is it full of victory? Is is it full of faith? Are you overcoming and conquering every single day? Or are you not? Because that is a huge, huge issue if you are not. Now, we're going to put it into three or four points. But one of the the verses that I think is great is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. And it really is the charge. It's something that you want to do on a regular basis. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. 
Psalm 119, verse 10, and again, some of these you'll be able to look up. Some of them you may just have to jot down the reference. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to be wise, we need to seek who God is. The New Living Translation says, reverence for the Lord. That same reference, Psalm 110, verse 10. It says, reverence for the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. So being wise in your life, knowing how to make wise decisions, seeking God and knowing God. Proverbs 9, verse 10. Both of those were in verses of 10. The latter part of Proverbs 9, verse 10 in the New Living says, Knowledge of the Holy One results in understanding. So again, as we seek God, our theme for ignition is Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things, and all these things will be added unto you, is very, very broad. All the things that we need. If you look again earlier in Matthew 6, it's talking about don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear, what, what you will, all your needs, because God takes care of them. Well, part of the needs as it pertains to that is the peace about it, the calm about it, the, the not stressing about it, the not worrying about it. So we're going to be looking at, at this inventory, even though it is, again, cannot be defined. We cannot fully understand him. But I, I factored it into about four points. And the first one is that God is huge. He is huge. He is beyond huge. He is undiscoverable, awesome, mighty, unfathomable. He is mysterious. He is so massive. You know, the two ways that God reveals himself is in his word, as we know, and then in his works, which includes creation and the way he manifests himself to us. Have you ever thought about creation? No, creation is so, so beyond spectacular that sometimes, again, Satan as the great counterfeit will shift ourselves to things that are made of God rather than to God himself. Because he'll do anything he can to take our eyes directly off of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some people get caught up in worshiping creation. And you know, I see the temptation there because what God has created is amazing. Even this past week on the news, um, they were talking about, I think it was the planet Pluto, that they were finding new discoveries about things that were just unbelievable. We have not even begun to see the, the species, the kinds of things in the deep depths of the ocean, in the space, you know, in the planets, all these things that man hasn't even been able to see yet with our finite minds, our finite abilities. And God, why, he created something so amazing, so vast, so huge. The intricacies of what he created. I am not, um, uh, by any stretch, a, a bird watcher. I don't know if anybody's a bird watcher, but uh, I, we have friends of ours, Jim and L.B. Kirby, which is many of you may know. They love bird watching. And um, what Jim Kirby can tell you about birds is just amazing. I'm telling you, I know that they're different colors and they mostly all fly. <laughs> That's about what sums up my knowledge of birds. And then, of course, they make various noises, all of which are a tad bit annoying to me. So that's, uh, I, I appreciate them, but not necessarily you know, knocking on my window and at weird times of the day or night. But, um, but birds are really amazing. There are so many different kinds of birds. The intricacies of God's creation. Some people are, I know Yvonne, my little one, is just in love with dolphins, anything dolphin. But she just loves, she's fascinated with the sea and things that are in the water and the, the fish and all the different things. I mean, if you were to, 
the study of just God's creation would just be almost crack your brain wide open. God is so beyond amazing. Just looking at how a, a sperm and an egg, you know, with the beginnings of life, the miracle of that, and then the intricacies of the womb that Psalm 139 so beautifully, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the uttermost parts of the earth. Thine eyes, God, talk of God, did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written. Oh, if that isn't, if that isn't word of God proof for pro-life, God knew all of our members were written in his book even before we were born. It's just amazing. God, God created. He, he is so huge. There are some great scriptures that I want to give you as pertains to how amazing God is. I, I love scripture for this reason because I don't even have the words. I, I would just begin to just stutter if I tried to uh, begin to describe God. But there are some amazing verses in the Psalms. Let's look at first Psalm 77. Psalm 77 is fantastic, and a lot of this, too, uh, if you read it in your translation with me, I'm going to be um, giving you some in the New Living um, as you're listening to it today because it's a a real modern uh, translation. Psalm 77, verse 14 says, Thou art the God that doest wonders. Actually, that's King James. I wrote it two different times. This one's King James. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Anytime you hear thou or thee, you know it's King James. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. In the new living of that same verse, starting even in verse 13, it says, Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. That is amazing. Jeremiah is another book. So we're going to come back to the Psalms, but look at Jeremiah 32. Love, love, love Jeremiah. Great, great book. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, it says, Sovereign Lord, this is New Living again. Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power. And then I'm going to skip a little bit going down to the latter part of verse 18. You are great, the great and powerful God, the Lord, in all capital letters, Almighty. That is our Jehovah God. You have all wisdom and do great and mighty miracles. You are very aware of the conduct of all people, and you reward them according to their deeds. You performed miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, things still remembered to this day. And you have continued to do great miracles in Israel and all around the world. You have made your name very great as it is today. And then if you skip down to verse 27 of that same chapter... Jeremiah 32, it says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? God is beyond amazing. Now, while I read a couple of other psalms to you, I'm going to have um, Fred pass this out. Because if you really are doing a a study on, on all of the attributes and names of God, this is a nice little short handout of all the names of God and where you find these names. And, of course, Yahweh is the Jehovah God that we know. Um, and uh, all these other names, though, listed here are just amazing. God is a healer. He is, a, he is our, our shield. He is our maker. The all-sufficient one is El Shaddai. Um, the Lord, our righteousness, there's... Um, Oh, my goodness. It just goes on and on. Um, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. 
these names will really encourage you in where they came from. Um, it's just an amazing. Because when you're praying about a particular thing, if you need, you're praying about provision or healing, you can pray to God and claim that aspect of who he is, his very nature. You can claim that and know that he is the God of healing. He is the God. He is the Lord who is here. Um, oh, just so many great, great names. But I want to have you look in Psalm 104. A few other verses, so keep that handout if you would. But Psalm 104, oh my goodness, just an amazing, amazing psalm. It says, praise the Lord, I tell myself. Oh, Lord my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and with majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. Isn't that beautiful? Just thinking of his creation and how amazing it is. You make the clouds your chariots. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothe the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. At the sound of your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, it fled away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. You make your springs, the springs pour water into ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide all the water for the animals and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home. Oh, my goodness. Amazing, amazing. And then skip down to verse 24 in that psalm. We won't read the whole psalm, but it says, Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both great and small. See the ships sailing along and Leviathan, which I love. Look, that'll be a nice little side study there. Yes, Leviathan. Which you made to play in the sea. Then down to verse 32. The earth trembled at his glance. The mountains burst into flame at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May he be pleased with all, by all my thoughts, these thoughts about him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Oh, God's greatness is so beyond, beyond. And by the way, when you are struggling, Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, just fixing your thoughts on the greatness of God, will minimize your trouble. Where we get into trouble is religion takes the focus off of God, onto the do's of how to worship, thus putting us in a list of things that are kind of lived out in our flesh. And all of a sudden, this becomes way too big. And because God is not emphasized, he becomes small. Be careful. See, when we try to define God and don't leave room for the fact that he is huge, he is undiscoverable, he is mysterious, If we box him into our finite understanding, guess what we're doing? We are minimizing him. 
And I don't know about you, but I know people and things in my own life that sometimes we are facing mountains of problems that I need a huge God to handle. I can't, I, I need a God that, that isn't minimized. I, I don't want to minimize God to deal with this problem in my life because I see no way out. But when God is huge, our life and our problems become minimized because the God of this great wonder that can do all of this, there is no stopping him. It is amazing. He is the one, Psalm 146, he is the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. He is the one who keeps every promise forever. Two other references I'll, I'll give you. There just are so many, so many, but I'll only give you two others. Psalm 90, verse 2, the latter part, you are the God without beginning or end. Now, that one, Psalm 90, verse 2, which was the one I just read, goes with, it has the same message as Revelation 1, 8. And that is the one I'm sure you know. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Just that right there, that concept blows your mind wide open because we had a beginning. There is no beginning. God has always been. He has always been. You know, we're so bound by time. God lives outside of that dimension. He is not bound by the confines of time. That right there, it kind of gives me a headache when I kind of get a glimpse of that. It's just, it's just truly, truly amazing. I mean, I, I, you know, it's so far beyond my blonde head, <laughs> i got to tell you. Whew. He is huge, so God is huge. But you know what? And, and just please heed this warning. If ever in your study of who God is, whether you take a Bible study, whether you go to a conference, you take a course, you do some sort of... Bible college course, if ever in your study God becomes smaller than the problems that you face, God becomes smaller in his ability to handle life, then rest assured you have been deceived. That is a sign of deception. God will never get smaller. He will always and only become mind-blowingly huge. And in our arrogance, we sometimes come to scripture, even thinking that we would have the beginnings of the ability to box him in and define him. We cannot. We never will. And isn't that awesome? I don't want to think that I could ever attain smartness enough to box in the God of the universe, the God who created me. I love having a huge, indiscoverable, mysterious God. Because you know what? He's the perfect blend of mystery and and security all at the same time. That is how awesome he is. The second point is he is holy. Our God is holy. Now this is a forgotten concept in a lot of churches today. God is holy. Holy. It is truly, truly something we need to remember. We ought to fear and reverence him. I want to give you a couple of scriptures um, about his holiness that, that I hope will, will help you. Psalm 93, verse 5. The latter part of it. The nature of your reign, O Lord, is holiness forever. Now, we might know this because it's in a worship song. Revelation 4, verse 8. The latter part of verse 8 in Revelation 4 says, Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who always was, who is, and who still is to come. That is so great. 
Isaiah 46, verse 9. It's another one. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. His holiness is amazing. Psalm, the last two verses I want to give you um, here are Psalm 99, verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Exalt him. He's holy. Psalm 98 in the New Living. The Lord is coming to judge the earth. Now, before I go further in that verse, let me tell you something. And this applies a lot to the, sometimes the younger generation, but honestly, it doesn't matter what age. We have no idea. Listen carefully. We have no idea what we are doing when we throw around God's name in our conversations. And I just want to give you something to just think about. Don't think about it from a religious standpoint. It's not whether it's a sin or not a sin. It's not that. It's just, I just want you to think about something this morning as it pertains to the holiness of God and the reverence that we hold. When we loosely use the name of God, well, you know, oh, lordy, lordy, you know, or, or, or saying, oh, my God, just, just flippantly to, to the fact that, that, you know, you found a great pair of shoes. God's name is so holy. Do you know that at the name of Jesus, Scripture says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord? So, you know, don't, don't put a legalistic twist on it that, you know, oh, taking the Lord's name in vain. But think about it from a reverence standpoint. What can you do to reverence? If, if a name is holy, be careful to throw it around loosely. Know that it is significant. You know, when I pray with Yvonne, even at night, I, I want her to even have a, a posture uh, of her body that is, you know, instead of sprawl out all over the place, it doesn't make it a sin. But I want her to know that when you're coming into the presence of the Lord, He is holy. You know, there are, what is it that you can do to just, just living in that, that sense of awe? You know, even little diners now in cafes have signs that say, no shirt, no shoes, no service. You know, if some of them are looking for standards in things, what can we do to, to just show God's, God's holiness and God's honor? We are a church, praise God. I grew up in a church where there was literally a dress code. I'm, I'm so thankful that that's not the case. Man, come as you are. That is exactly the kind of church that, that we love. We, we love. But you know what? Come as you are means we love you. It doesn't mean come lazy. Because to everybody, that's going to mean something different. It's going to mean something different. I know for myself, if I were going to a wedding, I'd have to get you know go to trouble to, to dress, and you know, at church we can we can dress however we want to dress, and I love that. I love that. But you know yourself, if you would you take a shower for work? Would you take a shower for the mall? But you don't take a shower to come to church. Just think about it. Just think about it. Something to actually think about. And you know what? By the way, God wants you here, whether you take a shower ever. Ever. And we love you whether you take a shower ever. We really do. So it's not about that. But think about what does the holiness of God mean to you? What does God's holiness mean to you? What can you do to just show that you honor? You honor him. Um, I know even when people pass away, they say, you know, don't speak ill of the dead. And there's, there's certain things that you, you give as kind of a, a way to honor them. Well, when it comes to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, talk to him and talk about him all the time. 
But just remember that when you're using his name, know that it, there is a sacredness to it. That doesn't mean don't talk about him and don't ever say his name. Say his name. But recognize that it's something sacred and special. He is so holy. And, and I think sometimes that gets lost. Whatever that that means to you. Holiness may mean <coughs> obedience. Holiness may convict you to spend your money more wisely. Holiness, you know, we've we got to be so careful that we don't get caught up. And this is why I love about this church. And I, I have to agree with even the, the in-your-face words of the video we watched earlier. I get where he says he hates, it even resents religion. Because it came, became all about the outside appearance. That means nothing to God. That means nothing when it's not a heart behind it. Read Matthew 23. He nailed the Pharisees and the scribes there, saying that it was all about, I mean, they would cheat the widows out of their, their money and then have these long prayers with these big prayer boxes called phylacteries that they would, they would use to make them look like they were just great prayer warriors when, when Jesus knew that they had just cheated the widows out of the, the money that was you know, going to be dealt for them appropriately. So God sees the heart. And that's why, yes, do we have to worry about the outward appearance? No, we don't. But we know, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So what does that mean to you? You just ask the Lord, what does that mean? Um, you will never find uh, that kind of pretense in, in, a, in a church that seeks the Lord. But we have to be careful um, that we have a, a great balance because God is holy. And um, it's just, I am just completely in awe of him. There were a few times this week as I was praying for the Lord to just, Give me a sense of his presence. And i got to tell you, at one point when I was worshiping this week, I was so overcome, it, it was almost frightening, but in a good way. I, I was almost frightened by the fact that his presence was so, it was just so overwhelming. It, it, it's just, it made me realize how, how small and human that I really am to even think that we have the privilege of coming into the presence of the Lord. It is amazing. And you read all throughout you know, the Old Testament, I mean, people, as you heard different stories, people couldn't even touch the Ark of the Covenant. It's so holy. There are things that are holy. Let's not let that be lost today. Yes, we come freely into the presence of the Lord. But let's remember he's holy because it is, that is what's so great. Now, because he's holy, he's just. And that's why if you look in verse 98 or in Psalm 98, <coughs> verse 9, it says, For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the earth, though, with justice and the, the nations with fairness. See, in his holiness, he is also merciful. Psalm 103 tells us he pitieth his children like a father pitieth his child. He has great mercy on us, but he is just. And he is, because he is holy, he is, he is just. And he, we, will, we will give an account of, of our lives. The third point I want to mention about God, each point could just like be a whole series, but is that he is loving. So we've got he is huge, he is holy, and he is loving. Oh, praise God. Praise God that he is loving. <coughs> we just sang these songs this morning about that he is, he, you know, his love never fails, never gives up, you know, never runs out on me. I love that song. It's really, really true. Now, this is where I think Satan really attacks us. Because even as you were hearing about the holiness, you know what Satan wants to do? He wants you to feel somehow unloved or unwelcome based on the challenge for holiness. And this is where churches get into, into trouble. Because if you don't have a careful balance of seeking God and his holiness, you're going to go just a little bit off balance to where now you are starting to impose certain rules and certain standards of manner and all these different things 
while they have their importance, because of honoring God and showing respect, we've got to be really careful that we don't then become rigid and there's this list of do's and don'ts and things that are expected because, ooh, people will look down on you if you don't do this. That's the stuff we've got to be careful of. Remember, God looks at the heart. Satan wants you to immediately believe you are condemned. Romans tells us there is no condemnation in Christ. There is conviction. But what's the difference? And I've shared this with the ladies. Conviction will always bring you in, draw you closer to Christ. Conviction is a, is a coming in closer. Condemnation is a repellent. If you are con- feeling condemned, you will withdraw and isolate. Conviction, though, means God saying, hey, man. I love you. I want to help you through this sin. I I want to work with you. I want you to repent. I love you so much. I don't want you to stay here. I I, I need you to know that my love will supply everything you need. Come in closer. That is the kind of love we need to be as a church. Okay? That is, yes, convicting on sin, but loving and not pushing people away because they don't meet an outward standard of religion. And this is why, this reason here, this, this messed up, perverted, distorted, what Satan has done to love is why churches are becoming not influential anymore in that poll. That Fox News poll that I mentioned at the beginning, we are, the church is losing its influence because it's losing its love. It's losing its focus on Christ, and he is love. God is love. And so when we lose our ability to love, we lose our ability to influence So remember, Satan is the counterfeit when it comes to love. Ephesians 3, there are two scriptures that I just think sum up. If you ever are struggling, and we've all been through it, if you're ever struggling with feeling unloved, and by the way, this isn't just feeling unloved by God, but let me tell you something. If you feel like the church doesn't love you because you did something wrong, I'll guarantee you Satan has got in there, and it's, it's in part what you're feeling that God is feeling. Because see, if God be for us, who can be against us? If, God, if we know and are sure that God loves us, then if somebody is judging me in the church, if somebody is thinking that I should look a certain way or be a certain way and I'm not, I'm so secure in God's love, that's not going to impact me. See, So these are the scriptures. If you need verses to claim, if you ever struggle with this, you know, you feel like, okay, I don't have any friends, or somebody got mad at me, or, well, I tried to be friendly, but then they were rude. Some of the simplest things, Satan can get in there and make you say, oh, well, I guess I can't. I guess I can't fellowship with them. Be careful. That happens all the time. Satan is so good at that. Good at that. Because he attacks us in the rejection, in the big old R, rejection. And all of us have received rejection at one point or another. It's one of the deepest cuts that we've ever done. And by the way, if you've ever been deeply rejected, Satan, according to Revelation 12, he is the accuser of the brethren. He will constantly remind you of what you fear yourself to be. He is constantly going to remind you you might get rejected. You know how that felt. You know how that felt when you were rejected. I'll bet you these people, if you, if you, if you stay, step out, if you step out into that, out of the water, on the water and, and into the deep part of the ocean and try to become friends with these people, you're going to get rejected because it happened before. He's going to keep reminding you. Be careful. Do not. Cast down imagination. 2 Corinthians 10.5. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what we got to do when Satan lies to us. But these are so great verses. They just, ooh, they just get me crazy. I love them. Ephesians 3, 17 is, is amazing, amazing. Ephesians 3, this is actually the um, women's ministry, Strength for Women verses. And, um, and I just, I love them because they, they just sum up what is so, so, so needed 
And uh, in verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, or depending on what translation, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints, with all the believers, what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you're coming here this morning and you're, you know, I'm good. People like me. I don't really have any issues this morning feeling unloved. This may not faze you. I'll guarantee you, in your life, at some point, whether it is a romantic relationship, a work relationship, a family conflict, you will experience an attack as it pertains to how you are being or feeling loved. We were created with a vacuum that desires love. There is no such thing as, I don't really need to be loved. You, you were made, your very makeup needs to be loved. And God created us for a relationship. The fact that he is loving means that he is personal. He, has, he created us to have a relationship with him. And so this is really, really huge. Now, in the New Living, by the way, um, it just says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust him. May your roots go down so deep in the soil of his marvelous love so that you can understand. God's given us the power to begin to understand how high, how wide, how long, how deep his love really is. Oh, so awesome. Romans 8, by the way, is the other one. This is the one that is very, very, very important. Romans 8, um, as it pertains to condemnation. By the way, the first verse in that chapter is, there is therefore now no condemnation. But in 38 and 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, I think I will read this only in the the, uh, New Living Translation. It says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or are hungry, or cold, or in danger, or threatened with death. Even the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, being, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, Paul says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. This is what's so great. Verse 38. I started in 35 on that one, but this is verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels can't. And the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God revealed to us. You cannot do anything so bad that God will not love you. You just can't. No matter what you do, you can't get away from his love. It is that amazing. And, you know, God wants to have a personal love relationship with us. He really, really does. He wants us to, um, to have a relationship. And, you know, it's really important that you look back to whoever, where did you get the feeling that God would ever reject you? Where did you get that? You know where you get that? Because unless you're seeking God for yourself, people reject you. If you grew up learning that people's love was was contingent upon your actions, or they would withhold their love if you didn't act perfectly, then we relate that to God. 
And that is, I was saying to the ladies downstairs, that's actually why I was nervous. Uh, as, I, as I often still, even though I've been teaching and speaking for many, many years, I get very nervous about the awesome responsibility to convey scripture in a way that does not taint the hearers. You know, you, yes, do we need to be Bereans and, and, and search out scriptures to, to see for ourselves? Yes. But, you know, we are influenced. And so it is a heavy responsibility of a teacher to not <laughs> misrepresent scripture. And I can only tell you a, an interpretation. And I can only suggest to you that this is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. And you've got to search. And those same verses can reveal a truth to you when you search them. But <clears throat> we will... We will always um, be tested in this love issue. This love issue is huge for us. God is love, though. He is love. Remember, John, 1 John 4, 18, God is love. So the fact that we have a relationship with God, we already have love that exists. He is the very essence of love, and it's so amazing. <coughs> so, lastly, God is sovereign. He is huge. He is holy. He is loving, which makes him very personal and desires that. But he is sovereign. Now, this goes back to what we don't understand about God. And one of the verses that I really love that really sum up in greatest simplicity this sovereignty of God, even though there are many, is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is, is really an important set of verses because it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. A long way of saying, I'm bigger than you. Trust me, you might not get it. Because my thoughts are bigger than yours, but I've got it. His ways are higher than our ways. Um... Do we trust God enough to, to believe that Romans 8.28 really is true? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You know, you have to understand the sovereignty of God when you're looking at certain things right now that you may be facing in your life and you're saying, how can any good come from this? Oh, Lord Jesus, this is a mess. And, and yet you said, I, I know that all things are working together for good. In his sovereignty, he will often take us a path that will bring good, but as he deems it to be, according to his will. One of the best examples of this is in Genesis, the story of Joseph. Um, as if you know the story of Joseph, all that he was taken through starts out as a young, almost kind of a cocky young man and has these great visions of this great life. Well, then God says, okay, time to be prepared. Gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. Goes through all kinds of stuff. Seemingly being left a few times in prison and just, you know, gone through everything. But then, the end of the story. This is the most exciting verse because it just really applies. And of course, Joseph is a type of, <clears throat> even Christ is there, a parallel is made. In verse 20 of chapter 50 of Genesis, it says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me. Okay, the, he's speaking to his brothers. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So God allowed his brothers to treat him that way, not to harm Joseph. 
but to build in him the spiritual muscles that he needed to rise to the level of maturity to actually run and have the keys to the kingdom that the, that the Pharaoh was giving him, to, have, to be ruler over all of the, the grains during you know, the time that was, there was going to be a famine predicted. And the whole story is so great. But what God, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. He is sovereign. Now, how he brings about his good is what we cannot question. But you know what? In his awesomeness, in his hugeness, in all of his creation, in his wonders, in his works, in his word, has he not earned the right for us to trust him? Has he earned the right for us to just believe him? Wouldn't you think that if he says, hey, just trust me, trust me. <sighs> okay, it's hard. It's hard. Help me to step out onto the waters. Help me to do that. I don't know. But has he not earned the right to do that? He is so sovereign. So, in conclusion here, Matthew 16 poses a very important question. Jesus is asking the disciples, namely Peter. And uh, it is an amazing verse, a set of verses, Matthew 16. If you'd look with that, look at that with me. Jesus, when he came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. I want God's blessing because of knowing who he is, that he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and he is my <coughs> personal Lord, Jesus Christ, in my heart. So have you let other people define who God is for you? One example that I want to give in closing that ends up happening in our lives is let's just say we grew up in a, in a family or school or surroundings, whatever your upbringing looks like, where people talked about God, but it was only at church. Like, there was a few people at church, and maybe they would talk about God. But when I came home, people didn't really talk about God that much. It wasn't just not really talked about. It was just God was there, and maybe we went to church, maybe once in a while, maybe every Sunday. But God was there, and we came home. It was just home life, Okay. That kind of an environment, even by osmosis, teaches you a particular attribute about God, and that is that he is impractical. That he's for church, but that he doesn't really practically relate to our lives. So then, if God is also only explained in a, in a distant, you know, idly up in heaven, if he's always referred to as the man upstairs, or he's way up in the sky, or he's only known as the, the God that did the big stuff for like the Jonas and the Noah, you know, and, and you think that, okay, he's, he's big over there and he's big for that and he's way up there and he's great, but, you know, that's about it. You're going to learn again, whether taught directly or indirectly, that God is impersonal. He's impersonal, okay, because he's only for, he's only for the big stuff. He's kind of so far away. He's big, he's great, he's wonderful, but he's way far away. He's not personal. Those are the things you tend to learn. Okay, so now you've got this He's impractical, 
And this is subconscious. You can take this in. It's not real personal. Then, perhaps as you grow and you learn maybe from teachers or preachers or books, God doesn't really work that way anymore. God doesn't do that. Well, yes, but this is, you know, and this ended, and, and this is what God did. And all of a sudden, from their experiences, because in terms of miracles, it cannot be even proven in Scripture. If you're really, really, Scripture is your only source. It cannot even be proven in Scripture that God does not just still do miracles today. God is a God of miracles, yesterday, today, and forever. But based on their human experiences, then they impart, again, you're, you're absorbing different things through a sponge, and now all of a sudden you, you're thinking, okay, so God is perhaps unwilling, and maybe even me, certainly not good, because, I mean, this person needs a miracle. He didn't do this. You know, so, so now I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's, he's impractical. He's impersonal. Now maybe he's a little bit mean and maybe even unwilling, you know, because I, I don't see the miracles in my life. And then, again, with, with classes in college, with books you want to read, with a Bible study you get involved in, and the influence of the media, just loving the shock value of the news. All you hear about is murderers and horrible things and storms and wars and, and ISIS and all these terrible things, and you're thinking, wow, evil is prevailing. Evil is prevailing. I mean, it's just so huge. There's just so much evil in the world. I mean, you just watch the local news and you're overcome. So now again, what are you absorbing? Unless you're deliberately seeking God, you're absorbing that God is either common or he's powerless. Because why is evil prevailing? So now what have we got? We've got this impractical, impersonable, maybe a, maybe a, a mean or not good, unwilling God. And now he's, he's common or he's, he's powerless over evil. And you know what? When you face a crisis that is the biggest one of your entire life, is a God with those kind of attributes, the God that's going to be your go-to answer? What happens in those cases is instead of recognizing that the great God of the universe created us in his own image, instead we have created a God in our image who is really not a God at all. But what? An idol. An idol of religion. I go to church to feel good about the God that I believe to be whatever. It works sometimes, it doesn't work. So I'll go sometimes, I won't go. Because, you know, if there's something better to do, I'm okay with that. Because I can catch church around. And this is why you end up with this, these people with this double life. They do this, but then when they come into church, they want to be churchy. And nothing, none of it had to do with God. And why would it? Why would it if he's impractical, impersonal, and, and unwilling, and common, and, and minimized? We'd be so careful. If you don't seek God with a readiness of heart, a readiness of mind, and say, God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Reveal some truth to me that, that is directly out of your word. The same verses that you may see in here that you know that you know that you know, God can reveal in a new way. Man, be deeply rooted and grounded in love. Look at those Ephesians verses again. And God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would even dare ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. He will give you. He will do for you. He is a deliverer. Look again at those names of God. He is a healer. 
He is my banner, my shepherd. He'll provide. He is my all-sufficient one. He is the God who sees. He is holy. Nothing can... Nothing, he, nothing is hidden from him. There is nothing in the closet. Nothing. There is no closet. God sees it all. But with that, he loves. He loves. In spite of us, he loves. And he desires a personal relationship. So who is God to you today? Who is he? Is he real? Is he a real relationship person in a practical way? Or has he become an idol, a statue that a, that a huge storm could just crumble and knock over? Because if that's what he is, then it's no wonder that you're not going to have any victory, that it's, this is just going to be a do-good, come-to-church. Ignition's calling is about a sold-out, all-in, as our banner says, experience and dedication to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it's about. The most exciting and the way that it's supposed to be as a Christian. What God is doing and about to do is amazing. And you know, um, I was thinking this morning about even knowing that it was a small group. Um, I was really blessed. I, I forgot the computer. I had to go home during the ladies' class and praise God Wendy was teaching. But when I came up here and saw Peter pouring into Ariel, it was, it was just another reminder of what God revealed to me this morning early as I was uh, knew that even aside from the Mexico group, there were so many others that I got a text from or this or that that weren't able to be here. And I thought, wow, okay, that's all right, you know, it'll be a small group. And, and God reminded me, you're faithful in little, he will entrust you with much. And the youth that is coming is going to be, at, there will be points when Peter and Lindsay will look back and go, boy, it was easier when it was small. Whew, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's going to be, I mean, God is doing, he is working on souls. There is a field ready to be harvested around where God will be bringing us in our building with Ignition. When you'll be hearing about this in coming weeks, but, oh, God is doing a great work in hearts. He is about to pour his spirit out upon Ignition in a way that is awesome. And you know what? We need to know who our God is. We need to know and believe that that is right around the corner. What we see with our human eyes is not what is the reality. And don't ever minimize God because of what you see with your human eyes. Ask God today, God, not only help me learn something new, but God, will you help me unlearn? Help me unlearn the religious influences that I've gotten, whether directly or indirectly, whatever I've absorbed that minimizes you, God. Let it be gone. Change my paradigms. Change the foundation of my heart to believe in you and your mighty power and that nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, God.